All righty. Welcome to another week of Cannon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. And this week, I had the pleasure to speak with Steve Alpert, former vice president of Studio Ghibli in Japan. We talked about his brand new book, Sharing a House with the Neverending Man, 15 Years at Studio Ghibli. I really couldn't recommend the book enough. Go get it on Amazon and everywhere else it's available. On the episode, we talk about the advice John Lasseter of Pixar gave him very early on. We talked about his meetings with Harvey Weinstein and, of course, the legend of Hayao Miyazaki. Before we get started, I wanted to draw your attention to a book on our shelf, which is our beautiful edition of George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin. This is one of the best fairy tales ever told, written by George MacDonald, a master storyteller. This book is the kind of book that will keep both children's and adults' attention as they wait to find out what happens to Princess Irene and Curdie as they go underground near the kingdoms of the goblins. Not to mention, the cover was provided by our very own in-house illustrator, Forrest Dickinson of Netflix's Hello Ninja fame. It's tough to beat. Get McDonald's Princess and the Goblin at canonpress.com today. And without further ado, meet Steve Alpert. Alrighty, now welcoming on special guest Steve Alpert, author of Sharing a House with the Neverending Man, 15 Years at Studio Ghibli. Steve, thank you so much for coming on and uh, putting up with some technical difficulties. Thank you for having me. So first things first, if you could just pretend that the most folks listening maybe have never heard of Studio Ghibli um, or anything about the career of Miyazaki, can, can you introduce us to Studio Ghibli? What is it? Um, Studio Ghibli is a studio that produces only theatrical length feature animation. Okay. And they still, they still do it by hand. So that means, you know, um, animated films that are meant to be seen in a movie theater, which these days is beginning to seem like something from the past. (laughs) Right. Uh, and, um, it's really, I would say it's probably Japan's most um, successful film studio of any, any type. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki has received numerous awards for his films, including the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival and uh, Academy Award in the U.S. Uh, th- at this point, they've made 20-some-odd films, and most of the films that they've made were number one in the box office uh, in the year they came out in Japan. They've been doing this since 1984. Okay. Um, What else can I tell you? You started at the studio in Japan in 1996, correct? Sounds like it. How how long had the the studio been going before you got there? Well, they started in uh, 1980, when I get it right, 1984. Naushka, The Valley of the Wind was their first film. Uh, and Hayao Miyazaki spent seven years writing uh, serial uh, manga is the word in Japanese, I guess. I don't know if they call it uh, graphic novels these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, right? And right. Uh, he he had this going for for seven years, and they and they um, they then made it into a film. Okay. And they made a film. 
1984. So if you started in 96, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you, what were you up to that you suddenly dropped in on, on Studio Ghibli? Well, I was working for the Walt Disney Company in Japan. Uh, I was in the, they call it the studio side of the, of the business. Disney's roughly divided into studio, uh, theme parks, and consumer products. So I was in the, um, the studio part of it. I was president of uh, Disney TV animation at the time. Wow. It sounds like a lot, but it's actually a lot smaller than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so what brought you there? I mean, is it was animation something you always loved? Was it, uh, was it the business side of things that fueled you? What was it that, that you decided to do that for well, a living? Yeah, I know that's, it's complicated, and I should probably have a better answer for that um, <laughs> than I have. But I, I studied uh, Japanese in college way back in the 1970s. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was in graduate school at Columbia studying Japanese literature. Okay. And I decided that academics really wasn't for me, and I transferred to the business school. And I've been working in various businesses ever since then. Okay. One thing that uh, I've heard you talk about is you got advice from John Lasseter uh, about how you should introduce Miyazaki to Disney executives. Can you tell me about that? Uh, Yes. I got a lot of advice from a lot of different a lot of different times. So that was it's hard to imagine now that he's become so famous. But in those days, Pixar was a small studio. Toy Story hadn't been released. And they were operating out of um, trailers in uh, Richmond, which is, you know, sort of, near, you know where that is? It's near Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, hard to believe, right? He... It's a long and interesting story, but he knew Hayao Miyazaki from, you know, when he was just, they were both just starting out in animation. And um, John advised me that the Disney executives wouldn't really get Japanese animated films, but the animators in the studio would. So in order to get them to screen the films in the U.S., we had to first do a test screening, you know, in America. And he said, make sure that this, when you set up the screening, it has to be in a large uh, screening room. Disney has all, you know, if you don't know, but film studios and like in Hollywood have all these screening rooms where executives look at the films. A lot of them are just big sofas, you know, maybe four, five, six, seven, eight people will watch the film. And then they have big auditoriums. So he said, do it in the auditorium invite all the Disney animators and that when the executives come, they'll see that uh, the animators are really enjoying the film and they'll think more highly of the film. So we, we went to a lot of trouble and managed to do that. And uh, Spirited Away started, this was when the film, uh, Ghibli's film Spirited Away started to get, get a lot of awards. They won the Berlin, it won the Berlin Film Festival. Okay. And suddenly a lot of the executives at Disney became aware of the film. And Michael Eisner, who was the chairman of the, uh, of the studio, you know, suddenly he wanted to attend the screening. And so if Eisner is attending, all the people that work for him want to attend. And all the people that work for them want to attend. And pretty soon they kicked out all the animators. And mm-hmm. it was only a giant audience of Disney executives, you know, Uh-oh. businessmen, guys yeah. who are you know, like watching the movie while reading their 
memos on their phones, things like that. So it didn't work out very well for us. Even though we <laughs> tried to follow John's advice. Right. Believe it or not, Pixar actually had the same problem as we had at the time. When, when they first made Toy Story, a lot of the Disney executives didn't think anybody would want to watch uh, a, a CG animated film, you know, about a lot of toys coming to life. And uh, I remember uh, I was in this, I was at a cocktail party in, you know, in Los Angeles at the time. And I, I mentioned to the, uh, to the uh, head of Disney Studios that uh, the Toy Story was about to come out. And I thought, wow, this is going to be great. I'd seen little bit, I'd seen bits and pieces of it. It looked fantastic. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, Steve, people like you will like it. But nobody else is going to want to watch this film. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> Does that guy still have a job? I'm sure he's the president of some other studio at this point. <laughs> and the upshot was that, you know, obviously it became so popular once it was released that uh, Michael Eisner himself was unable to get a copy, uh, to get a uh, Buzz Lightyear, one of the, you know, the toy Buzz Lightyear for one of his kids because they made so few of them that uh, that they'd all sold out. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I thought so. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. But anyway, so I mean, you know, John Lasseter was giving the advice based on a lot of the problems he also had with Disney uh, at the time. So Miyazaki is practically synonymous with Studio Ghibli. Can you introduce us to him a little bit? You mentioned uh, he was the director of most of those films that, that received the awards. Um, who, who is this guy? Right. So he, um, he's about, so I'm 70 and he's about 10 years older than I am. Okay. Uh, he comes from a family, an old kind of an, an industrial family, uh, in Japan. And he's like the black sheep of the family. All of his, a lot of his relatives, his brothers are all famous doctors. Not all, but some of them. And, you know, when he told his family that he was going to be um, an animator, you know, or a guy who, who drew, um, I guess, the graphic novels, but manga, the word in Japanese, they weren't happy, you know, they, they, and, uh, but he, he did it anyway. He graduated from Gakushuin, which is one of uh, Japan's most prestigious schools, and he, made, he majored in you get this right, I think economics and uh, philosophy, something like that. Okay. And he took that into a career of uh, animation. And he and Isao Takahata, who was his, uh, the other director at Studio Ghibli, uh, was his mentor. And they made a lot of really famous TV animation before, but they always really wanted to make feature length animation, you know, animation uh, that you would go to a movie theater and see. So TV animation, you know, real films that took that uh, you know that took ninety minutes or two hours and told an important story. Sure. And in those days, that that was very unusual. Um, movie theaters wouldn't show uh, an animated film unless it was a double feature because they figured you know nobody would go unless they were getting their money's worth. So uh, when Ghibli first started, whenever they made a film, they had to either make a second film to go with it, or they had to find another studio that was making an animated film that would be ready at the same time. 
So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard. Yeah. So now they're so successful. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know the numbers anymore because I, I've forgotten them, unfortunately. But, uh, the year I joined Studio Ghibli, they, Princess Mononoke was the film that, came, that was being made. And when it came out, it broke every single box office record. The previous box office record was held by E.T., which released in, I guess, 1983. And it just blew past that by so much that all of a sudden everybody was really, you know, wanting to pay attention to Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. You know, what's going on with this guy? But previously he had made a film called My Neighbor Totoro, which in Japan is kind of, that's kind of like the Wizard of Oz used to be for, for us here where, you know, it would be on TV once every year. And when it was on, just about every person in Japan would watch it. You got there in 1996. Yep. What did they hire you to do? Um, release, get the films released uh, outside of Japan. So uh, somebody in the... Uh, parent company, Studio Ghibli, had licensed uh, Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind, the first film. And uh, so a, a U.S. contract for films could be like 200 pages long, but a Japanese contract is like a one page long. They hardly specify anything. And the people who licensed the film decided to cut it and change the name. And Miyazaki found out about that and he said, okay, that's it. I'm not ever releasing any of my films out of Japan again. And he refused to allow them to do that. So when I joined, none of the films that had been made, you know, since from, you know, 1985, 86 and onward had ever been released outside, had ever been released except for private editions outside of Japan. So it was my job to do that. And, um, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be to say that. <laughs> so what were some of the big struggles that maybe you didn't see coming? Um, well, um, you know, we were working with Disney, my former company, and uh, it's, it's a really big company. And there are so many, you know, there are a lot of different people who have different opinions, but the international people tended to, you know, to appreciate Ghibli films, but the domestic people didn't like them so much. And, um, you know, the first thing we discovered, we, when the Ghibli had done, had made this uh, contract with, with Disney, it never occurred to them that, uh, Disney would decide not to release the films. So that was really the, the first big thing is that, you know, they thought, a lot of the films were not, not appropriate for an American audience and wouldn't release them. Even on, in those days, it was video. I imagine one thing that will stand out to a lot of folks, uh, you document several of the meetings that you had with Harvey Weinstein. All right. How, how did those go? How, how, what was that like? Well, I have to say, you know, it was interesting. I, I mean, I have to say, you know, all the sexual stuff that's come out since, we had no idea whatsoever. Sure. I mean, that was... Just absolutely mind-boggling, I guess. But right. you know, we, didn't, we didn't have any idea about that. But he's a very, you know, there's this expression: the person sucks all the air out of the room. Yeah. I never understood. I never understood what that expression meant until I met <laughs> Harvey. 
He was a very large personality. Uh, and New York, I mean, you know, New York people tend to yell a lot and, uh, it's, it's not such a big deal, but, um, you know, he would occasionally, he had a temper and occasionally he would, he would yell yeah. and threaten yeah. <laughs> and yeah. throw things. So, but I have to, no, but, but Miyazaki and, uh, and my boss, Toshio Suzuki really liked him. I mean, for one thing, he smoked and they were, they still are smokers. So <laughs> they, they, you know, unrepentant smokers tend to appreciate other unrepentant smokers. Sure. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, aside from all the sexual stuff, he was a guy who got a lot of really excellent films made that otherwise wouldn't have been made. And, um, his personality aside, he, uh, he did a lot for the, um, I guess what you call the art house film circuit. So one question that I had as I kind of read your book and and I'm vaguely familiar with with uh, the Studio Ghibli timeline is as the guy whose job it was to to get these films distributed, um, right. you guys ran into you document several uh, issues whether it was with Disney and Miramax about oh they may have shortened it or. Uh, you played a big role with uh, translating, um, right? Et cetera. So there were these issues. In hindsight, do you ever think you know getting me? So I'll, I'll say this, and then you react to it. It seemed to me, sure. uh, knowing Miyazaki and and the thematic elements of his of his movies, and it seems like a a stretch to think that they would fly with big American producers unchecked or unchanged entirely does that sound right to you i'm not sure what you mean could you, so, could you explain that a yeah more? sorry so it seems uh like of course american producers are going to feel like they have to change this movie because of just how weird it is to especially their western sensibilities in terms of we have to make the most our goal is to get the most profit ever out of these movies you know of course well, we're gonna have to make changes um did you guys yeah. expect that or or were no. you thinking these no. will get through no 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 so yeah i mean that's really the thing i, I you know i spent my entire almost my entire career in japan and um i think i said before the people in disney the people the disney people uh which i was one of at one point who work internationally uh, I, I, I don't think they, they don't think like that. And they, and it was a surprise. It was a big surprise that, um, you know, I, that Americans reacted, the American part of Disney reacted that way to the films. I did not expect it. Okay. I, it really, it really was a big surprise. And making, you know, we started the first, one of the first things we did was uh, dubbing. Princess Mononoke into English. We had a really great cast. Uh, it took a long time and actually a lot of money, but n nobody in the that was doing it had any experience because here in America we don't really we don't dub foreign films. I don't know we don't watch that many foreign films, but we don't dub them, right? You know, into English. Whereas every place in the world they do, and so they have people who are really good at it that know how to do it. And, know how to do it really well and really cheaply i mean i i always tell people 
I used to watch Star Trek when I lived in Japan, and I thought Star Trek is so much better in Japanese. They do a really great job dubbing it. You know, Mr. Spock really sounds cool. Really? Hey. Oh yeah, it's great. That's hilarious. And there are a lot of there are a lot of TV shows like that where I feel that way, but that's because they have people who do that for every single foreign film that's shown there. Right. But in the U.S., we don't do it. So uh, Miramax at that time had just done, I think they were just had just done the English Patient, which was hugely successful, and um, they thought. Um, a lot of their foreign films, which were great films, would do better if they dubbed them, and they know experience dubbing. So Princess Mononoke was going to be their first time learning how to dub a foreign film. You know? Okay. So they wanted to do they wanted to do everything they could, and I never I never saw it, but somebody told me actually the first one they did was a film called Il Postino. I don't know if you know that film, mm. South American film. I okay. Think. Okay. Great, great film. And they dubbed that, and they, they screened it a couple of times, and people just laughed. It was so hilarious. So they thought, you know, they thought, okay, let's back up. It, it should be easier to do with an animated film, you know, than a live-action film. So this was their chance to try and get that down so they could, you know, make more money, I guess, with the really excellent foreign films that they were releasing. Right. Can you speak to uh, a little bit about the translations? Uh, you played a big part in that. Right. Well, when you're so, first of all, translations, whenever you translate anything, if you get it right, no one will say anything. But no matter what you do, there will be people who will find things that are wrong with it, and they will not be wrong. <laughs> because it's really you know really it's not <laughs> translation is difficult but translating for movies is even more difficult because you have these images on the screen already and your translation has to be accurate but it also has to fit exactly the mouth movements on the screen right so you know japanese tends to be a lot longer oh right English. right so you know you're constantly trying to get the meaning right, but also trying to fit it to the, uh, if it's a subtitle, the timing, and if you're dubbing, you know, to the mouth movements. So you have that extra hurdle you have to go through. Right. And then you worked so, with Neil Gaiman as well, right? Yeah, that was a pleasure. <laughs> Very great. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can you yeah, talk about his, his role and maybe just what it was like working with him? Yeah, uh, he lived in Minnesota at that time, and uh, he flew in uh, for the meetings at, in New York, and uh, and he was a real he was a real champion of um, you know trying to keep the uh, the translation, trying not to add things, let's say, to the film. In other words, Hayao Miyazaki made this film, and it's not our place to make changes. We're just trying to do the best we can to represent what the original filmmaker wanted to, wanted to show in the film. Uh, you know, and the Miramax people had, besides that, wanted to do what was commercially viable. And, and also, I guess, so Miyazaki, one thing about all of Miyazaki's films is that he likes things to be kind of vague. You know, he doesn't <laughs> believe in, he doesn't believe in resolutions or, uh, you know, good guys and bad guys and that kind of thing. And the Miramax people wanted to add things that would make 
uh, make the, the plot, let's say, a little, a little more um, complete, a little more rational, a little more understandable. Get rid of the vague things. Sure. So sure. they added stuff. They, they added stuff, and my job was to cut all that stuff out. And you know, fortunately, Neil was uh, on my side for that. Um, but also, you know, we, as I said before, we didn't, re- none of us had any experience and, and we didn't really know how it was going to go. And so what Neil did was he, he created, he, he took the, I guess he took the subtitles from the film and he rewrote it, you know, as perfectly as it could be right. without any concern, you know, just the, the lines perfectly. Like if you were doing it from scratch, these would be what the line should say. It was great. But then the problem was, you know, you have to take that and fit it to the mouth movements and what's already up there on the screen. And that's a more difficult process. And the communication between Miramax and Neil and us was a little imperfect. And um, so we did have some problems there. So would that mean it would go back to animators to essentially cut back on oh, no. on the mouth movements? No. no, no. no. Okay. No, no, no. Nobody's touching the film. So it's just, it's what you can do is you can add, you can change the dialogue. Got it. You know, so they wrote, they, they wrote things that weren't in the film. They okay. made up things and, and people who didn't understand Japan, uh, you know, they were writing things that wouldn't, no one in Japan would ever agree to. Sure. Not Neil, not Neil. But right. uh, the other people at Miramax who were doing the cutting. So, and they, you, uh, they had this attitude. Well, the Miramax people had this attitude where, you know, you submit something and if they don't like it, that's it. You're out. You're out of the loop. Right. Um, a, a couple of times they said to me, you know, if the, if the actor doesn't do it right, we just fire him and get somebody else. You know, and you're, ta- you're talking about some pretty talented and famous people here. So. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of a it was a learning experience. <laughs> yeah. It, it, as you look over that that time, you mentioned, you know, this job turned out to be a lot more difficult than you thought it would be. In terms of but, but fun though. But fun. <laughs> but fun. But fun. So you, would you see just as a whole in the past getting Miyazaki's vision for animation and art and everything else, has that has that been successfully translated over into English? Yes and no. Uh, one of the things when I first started doing this, you know, and I I told Suzuki-san, who was the president of the studio and the, uh, the producer of all the films, you know, I told him that um, I was going to translate all the films because I because you, you need to, but also because I really wanted to. Yeah. He didn't want me to translate the films. He said, I, we don't want the films translated. I said, well, how are you going to screen them in foreign countries? He said, well, if they want to watch them, they should learn Japanese. <laughs> and I thought he was kidding, you know, but he, he was, he must have been, he seemed like he was serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can, I can understand where he would, he would feel that way, but he, for a while, I wasn't sure whether he was actually going to let me translate the films, but eventually he did. But one of the things he said was, 
he wanted me to say, okay, you can translate the films, but the credits all have to be in Japanese. Okay. And I said, why would we do, why would we do that? What's the point of having the credits if people can't read them? And he said, then people will know that it's a Japanese film. Hmm. And I said, no, they won't. They'll think it's a Chinese film. You know, people have, they just, <laughs> you're just putting stuff on the screen that nobody can read, you know? So eventually he relented and let me translate everything. But, uh, but he, but again, he wasn't wrong because if you see these films in Japanese, you get a really complete picture of mm. what the filmmakers intended. Mm. And there's no substitute for that, I have to say. So when we translate, we do the very best we can. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of examples in the book of uh, things that we have to translate that show, you know, sort of what's there in the Japanese, the best you can do in English, and sort of what you lose by not being able to... Uh, hear it in the original language right um sometimes though depending on the film uh sometimes you you actually can completely capture it and you know it's funny because uh the french versions of, of the japanese films play really well they mm. play i think they play every bit as as, as well as the original japanese there's something about translating into French that works. Um, they had, um, for Miyazaki's film, Porco Rosso, uh, Jean Renault played, uh, Porco Rosso and Miyazaki-san thought he was better than the guy who did it in Japanese. He said, that's exactly the voice I was looking for. So. But really, but you know, sometimes you get these breakthroughs and it just works. But for most of the time, I would say you're you're missing something. So when we translate, we do the best we can to give you the you know the feeling of the original. But there's always going to be something that's not just a little bit off, right? Or, or not as good as it could be, right? Well, Steve, I'm so grateful for the time that you've offered me. Um, if you could recommend to somebody where to jump in with the Ghibli films and to be introduced to Miyazaki, where would you send them? Well, I guess my neighbor Totoro would be the first one uh, okay. or Kiki's delivery service. Okay. But it it really depends on who you are, how old you are and uh, what kind of films you like. Right. Right. Uh, my favorite film is still Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Okay. Although you're not supposed to have favorites, but <laughs> I think Totoro you know, in terms of filmmaking and the film itself would be my first. And I suppose I should mention Spirit Away, which Spirit Away, which won just about every award you could think of. Did did Miyazaki have a favorite film that he wasn't supposed to have? No. Uh no. They always say that they they thought of their films as their children and mm. You know, parents don't have favorite ch children, a favorite <laughs> child. They're not supposed to. Right? They're not supposed to. They're not supposed to. They're not supposed to. But I, I really don't think Miyazaki does. Okay. Okay. Mr. Albert, thank you so much. Everybody can go get your book at Amazon. Anywhere books are sold, I imagine. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.